Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Six weeks ago, we began a journey together through a section of a letter in the New Testament that was written by one of Jesus' closest followers. His name is John. The letter is found in our Bible. It's just called 1 John. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to open there as we continue walking through this New Testament letter. But six weekends ago, we began a series within this letter, and we started with this question. How's your walk? How's your walk? And by walk, we define that as the way that we live our lives. And John, in the opening section of this letter, is addressing really this question. How's your walk? And he's talking specifically about our fellowship with the Father. And how our fellowship daily with the Father impacts the way that we live our lives. And John is calling us to examine our hearts, to examine our lives, and to ask the question, how's my walk? And John has been writing very specifically about some ways that our fellowship with the Father impacts our daily walk, the way that we live on a day-in and day-out basis. This morning, (laughs) we're going to bring this series on the believer's walk to a close, and we're going to launch next weekend. I'm going to lead us into a new series in this letter called 1 John. But as we bring this series to a close, I want us to take just a minute right here at the beginning, and I want us to reflect with this question about some areas that John has been addressing. For example, when you think about this question, how's your walk? One of the things that John taught us is that when we're walking in fellowship with God, We become more honest with God about the sin in our lives on a daily basis. So so let's think about it. How's your walk? Are you, am I, being honest with God about sin in our lives? I mean, if all we do is go through a teaching series, and it's just that, it's just a teaching series, and we don't walk out of this series having sat under the Word of God and allowed God's Word to transform our understanding, to change the way that we live, then we're really wasting our time. So in this arena, how's my walk? Am I living with a more conscious awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God when it comes to sin in my life. And when I do sin, am I quick to to get honest with God about that? Here's the second area we talked about. Experiencing victory. John said when we're walking in fellowship with God, when we're walking in the light, 
One of the evidences of that is we begin to experience victory over sin. Not, not victory like we talk about deliverance when we get to heaven, but we begin to experience moment by moment victory. So as we think about how's my walk, are you beginning to experience victory? My prayer is that through this series, some of you have unlocked some spiritual keys in your life to learning how to have victory. Doesn't mean that we, we don't have to deal with this stuff anymore, but we've learned how to walk in victory. Here, here's the third question. John wrote to us and he said that when we're walking in fellowship with the Father, we begin to lovingly obey God out of the overflow of fellowship with Him. So, so how's your walk? Are you growing in obedience to the Father, not obedience as the focus of your life, but obedience as the fruit of your life as you focus on intimate fellowship with the Father. Here's one more. He said that when we're walking in fellowship with the Father, there begins to be a new radical love relationship that exists between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's, how's your walk? Is your fellowship with the Father producing in you a greater love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? John's been wrestling, causing us to wrestle with this. How's my walk? So, how's your walk? How's your walk? So, if my walk isn't where I want it to be, the first question I need to wrestle with is, Am I, am, I, am, I, am I in fellowship with the Father? Am I, am I pursuing Christ daily? Because <clears throat> for a lot of people, when the walk is not what you want it to be, and you're a follower of Jesus, the simple answer is fellowship with the Father because it's fellowship with the Father that changes the way we live our lives. But then John said, hey, there's another question. If, if, if my walk's not being transformed at all and there is no fellowship with the Father, I have to begin to ask the question, do I really even know God at all? So John's been making us and forcing us to wrestle with this. How's your walk? And it's been some tough stuff. Now, John last weekend gave us some encouragement in the midst of the challenge. He said, hey, no matter where you are on this spectrum of your walk, we're all going to have ups and downs. We're all going to grow at different paces. He said, we're all forgiven. Everything in our lives, past, present, and future has already been forgiven. John says we are secure in our relationship with the Father, not because of our performance for him, but because of our position in him. And John said, we're all victorious, that we've already overcome the evil one. So now we're going to bring this to a close because John has one final challenge for us when it comes to our walk. So pick it up, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world. And just before we read any further, that's not a suggestion that he's laying on the table. In the Greek language, it's an imperative, meaning it's a command to be obeyed, not an option to be considered. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
The world is passing away. And also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So out of these verses this morning, I want to ask and answer three questions. Here's the first one. What is the world? John here says, do not love the world. What is he talking about when he uses this word world? The word world, as used here, is a Greek word that at its core meaning simply means order or system. This word in the Greek language is the word that is the opposite of chaos. It's a a word that speaks to order, system, control. And this term is used by John many, many, many times. The writer of 1 John is also the one who wrote 2 John and 3 John in our New Testament. But he's also the one that wrote the Gospel of John. So he wrote four books of the New Testament. This word world in the New Testament is used 187 different times in the New Testament. But 106 of them is John in his four books in the New Testament. So John loved this word. He used it many times and he used it to refer to many different things. For example, sometimes when John used the word world, he was using that word to describe the world of ordered creation designed by God. God to reveal his glory. Let me show you an example of this. In John 1.10, John writes and he says, He, Jesus, was in the world and the world was what? Made through him. When John uses the word here, he's talking about the created universe. He's attributing to Jesus the creation of the world. Everything that you can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell. The ordered universe. He says that is the world that God made. When John writes in 1 John and says, Do not love the world. Is John talking about the ordered universe created by God that we can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell? No, that's not what John's talking about. Obviously, John's not talking to the created universe because we are to look at the created universe. The Bible tells us in Psalms that the heavens declare and tell of the glory of God. And the expanse declares the works of his hands. There are things we can worship about God that we see in the created universe. So when John says don't love the world, he's not talking about the stars and the moon, the planets and the oceans and the earth. That's not what he's talking about. Another way that John uses this word world is to describe the people in the world that God loves and longs to save. Let me give you an example. John 3.16. For God so loved the what? Now here he's not talking about the ordered system of the universe, the stars, the galaxy. When he says God so loved the world, he's talking about the people who inhabit the world, the people now on earth today, there are over 7 billion people. When God says, the Bible says, God so loved the world, now this phrase is talking about the 7 billion people who live on planet earth. God loved them so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. What's that? That's the gospel. God gave his son for the world. So when John says, Do not love the world. Is he talking about the 7 billion people on planet Earth? 
We're to not love those people? Well, obviously that can't be true because the Bible tells us that the two great commandments are to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He commands us to love this world, the world of people. And God desires to show his love to the world through us. So if he's not talking about the created universe of stars and planets and systems, and he's not talking about the 7 billion people who live on planet Earth, when John says, do not love the world, what's he talking about? Let me give you a definition. Here's another way John uses the word world. It's a spiritual system made up of values, beliefs, and morals that are opposed to God's word and God's will. Several places in the New Testament, the word world is used to refer to this. If you read commentaries in different books, you're going to find different ways that people define it. And we wrestled with a lot of those as a team. And we landed on on this definition that we kind of crafted together. But when John says, do not love the world, here's what he's saying. Don't love this spiritual system that's made up of values, beliefs, and morals that are opposed to God's word and opposed to God's will. Another phrase that's used in Scripture that would kind of be interchangeable with the word world as it's used like this is the phrase kingdom of darkness. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God in that sense is a spiritual system made up of values, beliefs, and morals that are surrendered to Jesus as Lord and King. That's the kingdom of God. It's a system of beliefs and morals and values that are submitted to our King, the Lord Jesus. But at the same time, while we live on this earth, there's also a kingdom of darkness, a spiritual system that's made up of values, beliefs, and convictions, and morals that are opposed to God's will and reject the kingship and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer said this way. He said, said, the world that he's talking about here is the world apart from God. Let me give you some examples of how John uses the word world like this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. Look what he says. We know that we are of God and that the whole what? world lies in the power of the evil one. He's talking about this spiritual system of values, beliefs, and morals that is controlled and dominated by Satan himself. He is a defeated foe. The victory has already been won, but the Bible teaches us until Jesus comes again, he's been given reign on this earth to dominate this spiritual system of values, morals, and beliefs. Let me give you another example. In John, in 1 John chapter 3 verse 1, look what it says. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. There's a spiritual system that has rejected the authority of Jesus Christ and rejected the lordship and kingship of Jesus. I'll give you another example. John chapter 15 verse 19. Listen to what it says. If you were of the what? World, the world would love its own. Here's what that means. This spiritual system of values and beliefs and morals, it loves people that thinks like they think. 
It loves people that believes like they believe. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. What's he talking about here? We've been chosen. Listen, before Christ, guess what? All of us were a part of this spiritual system. We were in bondage to sin. We were controlled by the enemy. We were enslaved to sin. But Jesus, by his grace, the Bible says, chose us out of that. And we've been born again into relationship with God. And one day, Jesus is going to come and the kingdom will be established on earth. But until then, we're a part of a kingdom within a kingdom. And as long as we're here, on this earth, in this life, There's a spiritual system that is opposed to God's word and God's will. And the Bible says it's going to feel like hatred. What is the world? That's what the world is, as John uses it here. When he says, do not love the world, that's what he's talking about. Here's the second question. What do we know about the world? Well, John gives us three big characteristics. This is not all that the Bible says about the world, but we needed to kind of limit our conversation this morning to what John's giving us. In 1 John, John tells us three different things about the world. Here's the first one. The world competes for our love. You need to know this. This spiritual system of values, beliefs, and morals that is opposed to God's word and God's will is actively at work competing for your love and my love. My wife is sitting over here this morning. When, when in uh, 1991, I was introduced to my wife by a good friend of mine. His name was Scott, and Scott introduced me to my wife. I I was over at his house. We were hanging out, and she had come over. They were in a singing group together, and and she came over to to exchange some, for the younger crowd, you won't even know what I'm talking about, cassette tapes. (laughs) Ask your mom and dad or grandparents. They'll tell you. They were exchanging some cassette tapes, and uh, I, I saw her, and when I saw her, I thought, I want to get to know her. So I put together a plan to compete for her love. I mean, it was strategic. I did things I would not have normally ever done under any other circumstances because I was competing. It was a pursuit in my life to win her affection. I ate things. I had never, I was 20 years old, I'd never eaten salad in my life. I didn't like salad. I grew up where if you can grow it or kill it, we can fry it and eat it. You don't fry lettuce. We didn't eat salad. But because my wife loves salad, guess what I did? Chrissy loves salad. I became a big salad fan. To this day, I love salad now. I do. I enjoy it. Now, it needs to have something that used to be alive on top of it, but, but I love salad. 
I began to listen to music. When I got to know Christy, first time I sat in her car, she had a, a cassette tape in her car of the dead milkmen. It's a punk rock group. I hate the dead milkmen. I didn't like them at all. I feel sorry for the two or three people who said yes when I said dead milkmen. But guess what? You'd have thought I was the biggest dead milkman fan on planet Earth. Why? Because she liked them. I liked them. What was that? It was an intentional pursuit. I was trying to win her affection. Believers, listen to me. You cannot live with your head in the sand. There is a spiritual system that is led by our enemy of values, morals, and beliefs that is doing everything it can to woo and win your affection. Let me show it to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the what? You know what this word is in the Greek language right here? This is the Greek word methodia. You know what English word we get from it? The word method. The word method in the Greek language, here's the definition. It's, it's the following or pursuing of an orderly or technical procedure. Here's what that means. Your enemy has established an orderly and technical plan. Here's how he does it. He watches you and he watches me. Now, Satan's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not like God, but he has demons that observe and watch. They watch our lives. They know our weaknesses, and they develop a scheme, a method, a tactical and orderly assault. It is a pursuit to win your affection. Look what he says. Put on the full armor of God so you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this, what? The world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our enemy has a relentless set of plans to woo our affection like a mistress trying to seduce us. John says the world is competing for our love. I'll tell you the second thing the world's doing. This is a major part of his plan. The world constantly tempts us as believers. And John tells us there are predominantly three ways that he tempts us. And I want to move through these quickly, but here are the three ways that he tempts us. He says, first of all, the lust of the flesh. You know what that is? That's our appetites. This word lust, we hear it and we immediately think uh, of what we think about when we think about the Bible, but the word lust at its, at its root simply means a craving, a longing, an intense desire for something, an appetite. John says the world understands, the world, the spiritual system watches us and it observes, it knows our appetites. And it comes and it tempts with the lust of the flesh. The flesh is the seat of our sinful appetites and desires. It's the tendency. Listen, every one of us came into this world with a flesh that is bent towards that which is opposite of what God would have us to do. All of us have a flesh that is bent towards trying to fulfill our desires apart from God's boundaries. 
you don't realize that, you're kidding yourself. If you didn't have that, temptation would not be tempting. What makes it tempting is that as long as we live in this earth, we have a flesh that is bent towards that, which, is, which finds its fulfillment or, or seeks to find fulfillment in satisfying desires apart from God's boundary. And the Bible says that the world is constantly tempting us with those cravings to begin to try to, to lure us, to try to pursue satisfying those desires outside of the boundaries and parameters of God. Let me read you a verse of Scripture. It kind of explains what this looks like. Galatians 5.19. It says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. It's a word that just means sexual expression of any kind outside of God's design. It's the Greek word pornea. That sound familiar? Pornea. The second word, impurity, it means vileness, uncleanness, sensuality. It's a word that means no restraint. Idolatry, sorcery. Idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. Sorcery. It's interesting. It's the Greek word pharmakeia. Sound familiar? We get the word pharmacy from it. Sorcery in the New and Old Testament was directly linked to to substances that allowed you to begin to think outside of yourselves. It's this idea of of trying to find uh, an escape from reality. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you. For those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What's he talking about here? He's talking about those, those cravings, those desires of the flesh... That God gives us boundaries and parameters to honor, but the world is constantly luring us to try to satisfy those desires outside of God's boundaries. Second one, he says, the lust of the eyes. Now, this is not about our appetites. This is about our attention. Same word lust. It's that craving, but he's talking about what we see. One writer said, the eyes are windows to the mind by which sinful desires enter in. Windows to the mind. John is describing temptations that assault us. Everything that's lust of the flesh is from within. Now John's talking about stuff that comes from without. Stuff that we see. Biblical examples of this are Eve in the Garden of Eden. Remember what it said? She saw the fruit and it looked good? How'd that turn out? David was on his rooftop and he saw Bathsheba. How'd that turn out? Listen, it was the lust of the eye that ultimately led David to lie, commit adultery, and even murder. But it started with the lust of the eye. The third example that he gives us is not our appetites or our attention. It's our ambition. He said the boastful pride of life. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life. What's he talking about here? That word boastful pride, that phrase is a word that means means the the self-seeking pursuit of honors, glories, and splendor in this life. It's the desire to shine or outshine others. 
It's living by this philosophy that says it's all about me. A.W. Tozier says about this phrase, it's when we take God's gifts and those gifts take the place of God. The things that God has blessed us with become the objects of our worship. Instead of pursuing him, we begin to live a life in pursuit of possessions, in pursuit of pleasure, in pursuit of position, in pursuit of power. It's what the world says, right? The world says it's all about you. The world says get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid and poison the rest, right? Put self first. If you don't think about you, nobody else is going to. We begin to live a life with the sole purpose of impressing others with what we have or what we've done. The world competes for our love. The world constantly tempts us. But here's, you can't miss this. The world cannot deliver on its promises. John said... Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Then he said this. The world is passing away. He didn't say... Don't love the world because I want you to be a monk out in a monastery somewhere and have no joy and fulfillment in life. He said, don't love the world because it's temporary. It's fleeting. It's passing away. It's promising you something that it can't deliver. One writer, D. Edmund Hebert, he said it this way. I love this. The lusts of the world offer no lasting satisfaction and carry in themselves the seed of their own destruction. You may buy into the lure of the world, but I want you to hear the word of God today. It will not satisfy you it will leave you wanting it promises that which it cannot deliver you know when celebrities die it gets front page media attention over the last few years we've seen Celebrities like Whitney Houston, Robin Williams, Prince, major celebrities. Just, just this last, last year, we saw Jose Fernandez, a phenomenal, maybe the best pitching prospect, pitching talent in all of baseball. Phenomenal starter for the Miami Marlins. An all-star as a young 24-year-old pitcher. Was killed in a tragic boat accident off the coast of Miami, Florida. When these celebrities, when they, when they die... Sometimes it's in tragic circumstances, but when these celebrities die, it gets front page media attention. And I can't help in my own heart, every time I see it, 
Here's what goes in my mind. They had everything. Everything that the world says. They had fame. They had fortune. They had possessions. Everybody knew their name. And when I see their face on the screen, all I think, all that matters today, all that matters is what did they do with Jesus? That's it. That's it. That's all that matters. The fame, the fortune, the popularity, the possessions, the power, the influence, all of that in that moment means nothing. The world said, come follow me. And when it really matters, all that the world offers is meaningless. It's passing away, the Bible says. The word passing away is a word in the Greek language that means to disappear. You know what it made me think of? Cotton candy. I don't really like cotton candy, but my kids, when they were little, they love, you know, you go to the circus or go to the ball game, and man, the guy comes back with those, what looks like a, a cloud of cotton candy on that stick. And oh, cotton candy looks so good. And you grab it and you put some of it in your mouth, and it's a momentary pleasure with no lasting value. You don't even get to swallow it. Where's that stuff go? I mean, it, it's like, and gone. You know what that is? That's the world. Momentary pleasure. No lasting value. It's passing away. So, If you're here today and you're a Christian, there's some of you today, you're a follower of Jesus, and you are on the brink of a decision. You're about to make it. Maybe you've already made it. And the world is saying, come follow me. I want you to hear me this morning. You will regret that decision. Husband, father, listen to me. That craving, that desire, something you've seen, the world is saying, come on. There's satisfaction over here. Listen to me. If you make that decision, you will regret it. It may be sweet for a moment, like cotton candy, but then it's gone. And it'll cost you. Young person, mom, it doesn't matter where you are. The enemy's trying to lure. If you're walking with Jesus, 
The lure of the enemy is real. And if you go down that path, you will regret that decision. Is there forgiveness and grace on the other side? Absolutely. But that does not remove any cost. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, the world is offering you life. The world is saying, (coughs) you can't follow Jesus and have life. There's only life apart from Jesus. I want you to hear what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 10, I came, look at it, I came, John 10, I came that they might have, I don't have it up there, I came. That's not their fault, that's my fault. Jesus said, I came that they may have life. And have it what? You hear the lie of the world? The world says, you can't have life and follow Jesus. Jesus said, you can't have life apart from me. You'll never know abundant, real life apart from Jesus. Anybody in here can testify to that today? So, last question, I'm done. How am I to relate to the world? Because we live in this world. How am I to relate to the world? Well, John gave us an imperative. Do not love the world. Why is this so important? Well, he tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. I want to read this to you in a different translation. It's in the message paraphrase. Listen to 1 John 2, 15 in the message. He says, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. There's a stated imperative. John says, do not love the world, but within that stated imperative is an implied invitation. Here's the invitation. Don't love the world. Love the Father. He said, when you love the world, it squeezes out love for the Father. You can't do both. Same thing Jesus said in the Gospels. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You can't live with one foot in and one foot out. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said in John 14, if you, what? Love me. You'll, what? Keep my commandments. Here's the way most people hear that verse. It's the way I heard that verse for a long time. If you love me, you better obey me. So if you hear it that way, you live your life trying to show Jesus you love him by focusing on obedience. That's not what he said. He said, if you love me, emphasis on loving me, if you love me, You'll keep my commandments. What John say in John 17? The world's passing away and also it's less. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Lives forever. Remains forever.
forever. How do we do the will of the Father? It's in a pursuit of love for Him. You see, love, as it's used here, is not an emotion. It's the steady devotion of the will. To love, biblically, is to find your joy in something or someone as an act of the will. When you and I love God above all else, we begin to live for that which pleases and creates joy in Him and experience life forever. I'll close with this quote by Ray Stedman. Look what he said. There are two powerful forces constantly making their appeal to us. Both of them Offer to fulfill us, to satisfy us, to make life rich for us. But one is a lie and one is the truth. You must decide which is the lie and which is the truth. For you cannot do both. Let's pray. Fathers, we think about our walk today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to us about what it is to not love the world. Lord, would you, in this moment, move among us. In just a moment, our worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship. It's a time to respond to what God has spoken. It's not a time to slip out early. It's a time to respond. There are two groups of people here I want to talk to today. First of all, I want to talk to you if you're already a Christian, if you're a believer. Are you loving the world? Are you buying into the lie of the world? Are you trying to satisfy those desires apart from God's boundaries? Are you caught up with that which is in the world. Listen, you're going to regret that. You're going to regret that. If you're a believer here today and that's where you are, in just a moment when we begin to sing, I want to invite you. These these altars are going to be open here at the front. These pastors, we're going to be here at the front for you to come if you want to pray with us. You can just be alone with God and let God speak to you. Some of you on the brink of making that decision. Listen to me. Don't make that decision. It, you're going to regret it. It won't deliver what it's promising. It's a lie. It's a lie. Second group I want to talk to today is if you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian. Listen, the world is promising you life. I just want to ask you a question. How's that working out for you? You know what you find? The more money you make, you know what you want? To make more money. The bigger the house you get, you know what you find you want? A bigger house. As soon as that new relationship gets old, you know what you find you want? A new relationship. You know what that is? It's a cup with a hole in the bottom of it. You can keep pouring stuff in it, but it's just going to keep running out. Let me tell you what Jesus said. 
I've come to give you life. And not just a little bit, abundant life. If you do not know Jesus today, we invite you today to find life in him. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. If you don't know Jesus, when we stand to sing in a moment, some believers are going to be coming to pray. You come to one of these pastors here at the front. Here's all you have to say. Say, I need Jesus. That's it. That's all you got to say. I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. Our pastors are here. If you need to be prayed with about something in your life, your health, your job, your family, we're here. You come. Father, in this moment, would you have your way speak? God, I pray for those today that don't know Jesus. I pray right now you'd give them the boldness to leave their seat, to come to one of these pastors and just say, I need Jesus, Lord, so that they can find life. We bless you for what you're about to do, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.